Hi, you're listening. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service will encourage location and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening. Visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. Not too long ago, a buddy of mine and I were talking, and he said that he was going to have a plumber come over and look at a, a commode, a toilet at his house. And, and um, it, it, was, it was leaking or something like that, and so he needed somebody to come over and, and look at that. And uh, I thought to myself, well, like toilets, you can fix those yourself. There's other things in the house that you can't fix. And, that, and there's just a part of me that's like, I'm not paying. I would never pay for a plumber to come look at my toilet, right? Because I can fix that myself. I, I've taken toilets apart, replaced every part of that. I've even replaced one of those wax seals that are on the ground. And if you've ever seen one of those, those are nasty, all right? And I've done that, okay? Because I, I just take a lot of pride. I'm not paying somebody. I don't need no help with the toilet, right? And then um, there's other things like that. It's like uh, if it's a, a toilet or a ceiling fan. Now ceiling fans will make me lose my religion, replacing one of those out, but I'm gonna do it. I'm not paying nobody else to do that, right? Or um, what else? Blinds, like blinds in the house. Those, I will hang those. Uh, and there's a lot of forgiveness in that. You got that piece that covers up all the extra holes that you put up there, so, so it's fine. You know, those are the things. And I'm not judging, you know, if you're the kind of person that'll pay for a plumber, I'm not judging that at all because like, like if it comes to drilling holes in brick, I'm not doing that. Anybody else? Like if you, I'm so afraid that I'm going to like drill like a tiny little hole and then I'm going to pull it back and it's just, the brick is going to crumble right there, you know? And it's like, what do you do? You don't patch that. So I can't, I can't, I'm going to hire somebody to do that. So it got me to thinking, uh, it's like uh, also like changing the oil. I don't, I, I'll pay somebody else to change the oil. Jackie and I got in an argument one time because she, she argued with me. She said, I didn't know you knew how to change the oil. And I was like, baby, there's a big difference in knowing how and wanting to, and I don't want to, all right? And so go to Walmart, right? Get that, get that plug stripped out. And so that's, you know, that's what we do. So I was wondering, I was wondering what your, I don't need no help list would be like, all right? So I'm gonna say something from my list of I don't need no help. And you raise your hand if you will not pay somebody to do this, okay? This is really interesting. In the last service, it got really interesting. We'll see how it goes here. How about this? Make coffee for you. You're not paying $6 for a cup of coffee. That's what those young people do. It's foolish. What about wash your car? Wash your own car, okay? All right, look at all these independent people. So strong. Clean up dog poop in your backyard. You know you can pay people to do that? You can, you can. Used to be called your children, but now <laughs> can't do that. Hang your own Christmas lights. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you got a two-story house, you gotta do that. That's a good service. I like that one. Remove a bullet from your leg. <laughs> there is a few people. There's a few people. My brother Aaron has a BB in his knee because we were shooting each other with BBs and then it went in and we couldn't get it out. It's still there because we were afraid to tell mom and dad. <laughs> Organize your closet. Anybody, you're not paying somebody else. Okay, you see all the hands that are up? All you people with your hands up, let me ask you this. Put your hand back up if your closet is organized. Or if you're like, I'm not paying for it and I don't care. That's how you go. Paint, paint the inside of your house, the outside of your house. You're not paying for that? Okay. Mow your yard. Here's a good one. Scan your groceries. You're not gonna pay somebody else to do that. You are doing the self-service line, right? 
Yeah, this is funny. People who are so independent on everything really are upset that they have to scan their own groceries, right? It's like, I ain't doing that. Why am I even here? This kind of thing. Try to go to the employee break room because you scanned the groceries there. How about this one? Your taxes. You are not paying somebody else. Yeah. Listen, at both services, there are more people who will not pay somebody to take a bullet out of their leg than do their taxes. That means the majority of our church would rather, you know, like pay somebody. It's crazy. It's upside down. Look, there's this list of things. As you grow, you become more independent. There are these things that you're like, I'm not, I'm not paying anybody to do this. This is what I can do on my own. And there's this element of pride. Um, that we're, and it's not bad, right? This is good. I mean, all of those services that I mentioned there, that is, that is great. Some people need them, some people don't. And it's fine. There's no judgment on all that. It's like, it's like a toddler who will not take any help tying her shoes, right? You know, we become independent. We become strong. We don't need no help, right? There's that pride element. But when it comes to your soul, when it comes to your spirit, there are certain things that we ought to just put in the category of we need help, all right? I need help in this area. It's kind of like the pulling the bullet from your leg thing. That should definitely, everybody should have been like, yeah, I'm going to pay somebody to do that. But there are a few people, there are a few people, but there's some of us that even approach Christianity in that same way that says, this is what I can do on my own. I can do Christianity all by myself. I can follow God all by myself. I can do this all on my own strength. And my hope today, as we read this text from Hosea, as we finish up Hosea, that we will leave here today, not only saying that I need help, but I need God. I need God in my life. I can't do this on my own. This isn't mowing my yard or picking up dog food. This is something that I need God to do. All right, so let's pray together. And then we'll look at what the text says. We'll finish out Hosea. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to to stand and speak. God, I pray that we would be humble, that we would approach the text with humility. Whether we're in the room or watching online, God, if we're listening to the podcast, that we would, in this moment, just go ahead and acknowledge that there are things that I need help in, and this is one of them. So God, this morning, give us the strength to, to see that. As your word says here, give us the wisdom, the prudence, the insight to understand that we need you. We pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. Hosea 14, 9 ends this way. Let whoever is wise understand these things and whoever is insightful recognize them. For the ways of the Lord are right and the righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. What I'm about to share with you is wise that you would accept it, right? It's understanding. This is the prudent thing. This is the smart way to go, all right? Sometimes when you stand and tell people, look, you need this, you're sort of doubtful whether or not, do I need that? But listen, I'm telling you, this is what scripture says. And what we're about to cover is wise. It's wise to acknowledge and to understand that God does need us to do a couple of things. The idea, the big themes that are going to come out in this text are repentance and restoration. Repentance and restoration. And to be honest with you, this is somewhat of a review. We've already talked about this in Hosea. We talked about the idea of returning back to God and that God will restore you. So this is a little bit of a review. Chapter six, verse one and two says, come let us return to the Lord and he will revive us so that we can live in his presence. That's what the word of God says, that if you will return back to God, he will revive you. There's a lot of parts in Hosea where God is actually mourning the fact that he cannot repair or restore us because we will not return back to him. This is the theme. And what's going to happen in chapter 14 is three main ideas rise to the top. Three main ideas or topics or themes. The first two 
like I've already said, are repentance and restoration. So let's look at those two really briefly, repentance and restoration. Look at verse one. It says, Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled in your iniquity. Take words of repentance with you and return to the Lord. Odd verse, and we're going to break some of it apart here so that we all Make sure we're on the same page. The idea here, return, is the word that Hosea uses. We talked about this two weeks ago, if you'll remember. The idea of repentance, you'll hear that in Christian circles or or in Christian Baptist preaching, that sort of idea. The idea of repentance is best understood, I think, in this concept of returning. What it means is, yes, you're gonna have to turn away from some bad things. You know, the things you know you're not supposed to do. That's true. You're gonna have to give up your own control over certain things. You're gonna have to give up your own decision and what you would want to do. All of that's true. But what the Bible teaches is that what you turn toward, returning to the Lord, is better. That everything over there pales in consideration to what you get on the other side, which is God and purpose and meaning a life that is lived in the way that you were created to do. This is the idea of repentance. But what it does in this text, what's really weird is it says, take words of repentance with you. It tells us what to say. It tells us what to say. You can see it in the next verse. It says here, say to him, these are the words. Now, just for a second, pause and think about how odd that is. Most of religion, most of Christianity and any religion really, We think of it in terms of what to do, not necessarily what to say. Rarely do we ever have this idea of what to say. If you grew up in like a Catholic tradition or other uh, traditions, other Christian traditions, there is uh, certain prayers that you might pray, you know? And as Baptists, we don't don't know what our fathers are. We don't know what, you know, Hail Mary, that that sort of stuff. We don't know what those things are, Hail Mary, unless you talk about football. You know, we don't don't know um, the, the exact right words to say. We kind of have this, it's wired within us that there's not right words to say. But is that what he's saying is take these words of repentance, say this to the Lord? No. In fact, the emphasis there is not necessarily the right words, but what you are saying. Not what words you are saying, but what you are saying. And he, Hosea and the Lord, are gonna break down these three things that you say when you repent. These three, you don't say these right words, these exact words, but these are the three words that you say. It says, say to him, forgive all our iniquity. All right, iniquity is not a word we use. It's one of those, another strange word. Iniquity means sin. It's the idea of doing anything that is contrary or against the will or the standard of God, what God expects of us to do. And so anything that you do that is contrary to what he wants you to do or what he expects us to do or what he has commanded that we do not do, that's iniquity. It says, He says, forgive all our iniquity. So the first thing that we say when we are repenting, when we are returning back to the Lord, the first thing we say to the Lord is, I was wrong. I was wrong. What I did was bad. It was the wrong thing to do. Here's here's what's really helpful at this stage in in the talk is that we need to recognize that there is power in what we say. I'm not talking like, um, I'm not talking like magic spells or anything like that. There, there's just, there's psychologically something powerful to say out loud in your, uh, in, in just to yourself or to those who are, this thing I did, that was wrong. It was evil. It was sinful. It was against God's standard, right? To say that out loud, it's really powerful. That's what he says here. There's no, there's no, um, but you got to understand. 
There's not, well, I can understand, or, or I'm sorry that you felt that way. It is literally saying, forgive all our iniquity. I wounded, I went against you, so I was wrong. That's the first thing. The second thing he says, really odd again. Listen, look at those words. He says, um, forgive all our iniquity and accept what is good so that we may repay you with praise. Giving God praise, that's not weird. We all get that, right? You just, you just, you give God what he's due. It's the repay word to me that's weird, right? How do you repay God? It's not like you borrowed 20 bucks from God and you're like, oh, I got to get that back to him or else he's not going to be able to pay his rent, right? He's not in a deficit. So it's not like I got to pay that back. And if we could somehow give God something, if we could, well, how, how would you ever repay God for all that he has done, right? So God's been so glorious and gracious and kind and forgiving to us. We're going to repay that back. No, here's the idea. What he's saying is this is the way that I will respond, all right? Repay in the idea that this is the way I respond. It's not that I could give God back even to what he has given me. It's just that I will respond in like kind, right? So God has been so good. And so I'm going to give him what I respond. So when you're repenting, the first thing you say is I was, I was wrong. And the next thing that you say is I will instead, right? I did this and I was wrong, but now I will instead do these things. Here's another thing that's really odd. These ones are odd, iniquity, repay, sound kind of weird. And the fact that he's telling us, this is what you say. But the third one is like, and I will not ride horses. All right, so that, I mean, I don't know the last time you prayed a prayer of forgiveness over riding a horse, but um, so it says right here, Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses. That's what it, he says there. Any of y'all like riding horses? Sinners, all right? That's not what he's talking about. Here, here's what it is. What they were doing was they were, they were worshiping other gods. They were, they were finding their acceptance and their purpose and their comfort in other things because they were trusting in something other than God. They were trusting in their war horses. They thought our victory ultimately will come from the strength of our military from the strength of our ability, from the strength of what we can do. In Israel's history, their greatest victories were done in the terms of being outnumbered and being outsized and now armed and that sort of stuff. And, and instead of trusting in their own strength, they trusted in God's strength. And so what they said was, I was wrong in pursuing other gods. I will instead worship you and I will no longer trust in other things. These are what he says to do and this is helpful. You know, sometimes when you go into a situation, you don't know what to say. It's not so much you're like, I don't know what to do. You know, like I remember very specifically, my mom sending me into Winn-Dixie there in Athens, Texas. And I, and she, and I needed to like uh, apply for a job. I was real young, you know, and I was going to apply for my first job. And she walked me through the whole thing. This is what you say. You, you look at them in the eye, you shake their hand, you know, you say, Mr., that sort of stuff. And she walked me through this. So this is helpful to the, have that kind of say, this is what you do. And look, it's also applicable to interpersonal relationships as well. This is how you ask for forgiveness. This is the right way to do it, okay? Hey, friend, coworker, boss, spouse, child, I was wrong. The thing I did was wrong. It was. And instead, I'm not gonna do that anymore. I'm gonna do this over here, which is the right way to do it. I was wrong when I gossiped. I was wrong when I hurt you. I was wrong when I said the thing that was cutting at you. I was wrong when I lied, when I betrayed. 
And so instead, I will be kind and respectful and decent. I will instead in those situations, I will, I will speak kind words and I will no longer fill the gap with distrust. I will no longer assume that I completely understand everything that you're saying or doing. I will no longer not ask for how you meant it or how it should have been taken. See, there's a big difference. And saying that out loud is powerful. It's really powerful to say that out loud. It's not only powerful to say that out loud, listen to me on this. It's powerful to hear that, right? And that's the part that we, that we just rob from other people. We think we mess up and then the best that we can do is like, oops. And then we just go on living our lives, right? Yeah, 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 I feel bad about it. But to actually call it out and say, I was wrong there. I did that wrong. I will instead do this. And I will no longer have this underlying assumptions about you or about what you say or what you did, those kind of things. I was wrong. It's powerful to say, and it is powerful to hear. Beth Moore said, the best defense against repentance is rationalization. And I thought that, that hits it right in the eye. That hits it right in the eye. Listen, you do, we all do things that we rationalize. Everything that you've ever done is rationalized. Sometimes we think, well, yeah, but you don't understand. Or you got to understand, I'm just a passionate person. And so I responded in this way. Or you got to understand that, that I have these insecurities. So I responded in this way. Or you got to understand that I assumed this about you. And so I responded in this way. You can rationalize everything you do. In fact, you do rationalize everything you do. We all do. I do. Everything I do, I rationalize. I have never once thought this completely makes no sense. Going to do it anyways. You know, neither do you. We rationalize it. But here, catch me on this. Just because you can rationalize something does not mean you can justify it. You can have a very good reason to do a very bad thing and you still did a bad thing. Does that make sense? This is how we repent. This is how we go back to God. This is how we go and restore relationships. You got to do this or you do not restore the relationship. You have to. So this, this is how we repent. I thought that was cool in chapter 14 because I've never seen it laid out there. It's like, a, it's, like a, it's like a script. This is how you do it. Check this stuff off in your brain. This is how it gets done. It's like when you go and you're going to ask a girl out for the first time, you get all nervous. You don't know what, what to do. And you ask your buddy, like, what do I say? And he looks at you, you look at her and you go, how you doing? And that's how it works. That one line gets every single girl ever, right? I don't know. Probably not. Then God says this. When you repent like that, genuinely, mean it, then I will restore. I will heal their apostasy. I will freely love them for my anger will be turned away. This is the same thing in Hosea over and over again. When you repent, God restores. When you repent, God restores. God will fix it. That's such a glorious thing. Listen, sometimes I know that people don't like Christianity because it's, if they hear genuine Christianity, genuine biblical Christianity is you have messed up. That's a big part of it, okay? And that doesn't really jive with our like um, self-realization, I'm special, you know, that sort of culture that we have. But this is the reality. You have messed up. You have to own that. But here's the glorious side of that. And he will fix it. He will make it right. And isn't this a beautiful picture of the cross anyways? That he who knew no sin became sin, took on the iniquity of the world to forgive and to redeem and to justify those who would trust him. This is Christianity. 
This is the beautiful relationship between us and Jesus that if you will go back and say, Jesus, I was wrong. You are the true God. And so now I will live my life oriented around you as the real true God. Then he is faithful and just quick, super fast to forgive you. Throw it away as far as the east is from the west. God will restore. There's this other picture. Watch this theme jump out of these next three verses. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom. That's Israel will blossom like the lily and take root like the cedars of Lebanon. His new branches will spread and his splendor will be like the olive tree. His fragrance like the forest of Lebanon. The people will return and live beneath his shade. That's the shade. That's the cool breeze, the shade underneath a tree. And they will grow uh, grain and blossom like the vine. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. Or if you're a Baptist, the juice of Lebanon. It's all of this natural themes. It's all of this like beauty in nature, right? You see that? Like rooted, shade, dew, the fragrance, all that kind of stuff. There's this, there's this reminder of what we find in God. There is, there's refreshing vitality when we are walking with God the way that we are supposed to. Another way to kind of think about it is this. We are often tempted to leave God to pursue and to chase after things that are only found in God. We go chase after security and vitality and life and live my best life my way, the way I want to. And I'm telling you, you can do that all you want to. We have an entire book in the Bible in which the guy who did that, lived that way, says it's not out there. It's only in God. You can only find this sort of vitality, this sort of life, this sort of presence in God. So here we are. Here's, here's, this, here's the summary kind of statement. If you will repent, he will restore. And there you will find what it is that you were chasing after in the first place. And I think that most of us, nearly all of us would sit in this space and go, you know what? I agree. I think that's how this works. If you're really broken in your sin right now, if you're hurt, if life's not coming together the way that you thought it should, all that sort of stuff. If you're finding yourself isolated and alone, there's this deep nagging sense of isolation and, and guilt and pain. The answer to that, repent, come back to Christ and he will restore you. He will rebuild you. I think everybody in here agrees. That's true. And if you're there, I wanna call you to do that. But I think where we really miss the boat here is recognizing we all need that. I think a lot of us sit in a space where we go, yep, that's the cure to the sickness. I'm just not sick. That's what they need. I don't need this thing. And I am telling you, we all need this. Hosea through God, our God through Hosea says this, we will no longer proclaim our gods to the works of our hands, to the thing that we crafted. We will no longer build something and say this, is my God, right? And we will craft this thing and then orient our lives around it. That's what they were doing. And it sounds so crazy, right? Who's gonna build a statue like to Baal or, or to Asherah? Who's gonna build this thing with their hands and then step back and say, this is my God. Not only say it, but then live their lives oriented around that thing to make that thing happy, to do what I think that thing wants me to do, to, to sacrifice for the good of this thing. No one would do that. Not anymore. I mean, they used to do that. We don't do that. But do we? Do we craft things with our hands 
and then orient our lives around it? The answer is yes. When you're, when you're a preteen, when you're an adolescent, this lasts for a little while, we want more than anything to be accepted, right? Accepted romantically or accepted by friends. That's why we'll do anything to make the team. That's why we'll do anything to, to win the girl. We want to be accepted. And so what we end up doing, and we've all done this, is we craft this version of us with the right shoes and the right clothes, the right language, say things around our friends that we don't say around our mom and dad, right? We act a certain way, we act macho, or we act cool and untouchable, all this kind of stuff. We craft this version of us, and then we live our whole lives orbiting around that version of who we are. And with social media, we can do it even better. We've got filters and perspectives, and we can delete that one if it doesn't get enough hearts and likes and comments, and then we put another one on there, you know? We craft that, and then we live our lives around that. And anything and everything that threatens that version of what we have crafted becomes an enemy. We get mad at it. That's why all of a sudden, your parents become super lame. They weren't doing anything different than what they were doing like a year ago, but now it is the end of the world, you know? And I really lean into that space with my kids, you know? They think I'm embarrassing and, and loud. And so that's why when I drop them off at school, I roll all the windows down and yell how much I love them, you know, that sort of thing. My middle child will not say I love you back. He says, good night. Bye, I love you. Good night, he says as he walks away. But that's what we're doing, right? That's what they, that's what, hear me on this. If you're a teenager, I don't see a whole lot of teens. They're in the next service. But if you're a teenager here, a teen, preteen, we all did that. Some of us still are kind of doing that, right? That's the worst. They do that, right? Everybody agree with me that that's what they do? Good. I see a lot of handshaking. Yeah, they do that. Okay, good, because I'm about to talk about you. We get out of that acceptance phase. We get to a point where we stand there in the mirror and we think, well, Fat Louie, this is as good as it's going to get, you know. <laughs> we do that and then we live our lives. Acceptance, then we move to purpose. It's the stage of young adults. It's this purpose. I want this purpose. This is how I'm going to make a difference in this world. We say that kind of stuff. Or I'm going to make a lot of money. Why? So I can make a lot of money. Why? So I can be rich. I answered that question, right, you know. I want this kind of stuff. Or it can be a good way of doing it. You ever hear anybody? You ever feel this way? Anybody ever felt this way? I'm going to make a lot of money. Why? Because my childhood was horrible. We did without this. We did without that. We weren't able to go on vacations. We had to, we had to drive to all of our vacations. And my kids will never drive to a vacation. We're only going to fly. Yeah, you fly with kids. You'll want to drive, you know. We're going to do this. I'm going to make so much money. My wife is never going to need, my husband is never going to, we're going to have those things. So my purpose in life becomes achieving these things, right? And so we create, we craft with our hands a career, right? We get the right education at the right school, in the right program. We get the honors. We get certified by the right trainers. We, 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 we go through um, um, the certification process. We intern at the right um, crafts, schools, those sort of things. We, get, we, we learn our skill, our trade, or our education. And then we intern at the right corporations and the right firms and the right this. We are crafting this thing. We are building this thing. And anything and everything that gets in the way of that throws us for a loop. It's like you get halfway through one of the most devastating things is to get almost to where you're about to graduate and you look up and you realize, I don't want to do this. The thing that I crafted in order to achieve the thing, I have no identity. I don't know what to do at this point, right? 
We face that. So we have this acceptance idol that we make, craft it, build our lives around it. We have this purpose idol we make, craft it, build our lives around it. And then we have comfort. You get a little bit older and it's all about comfort. You've already accepted who you are, right? You've already kind of accepted that making a difference in the world is kind of overrated, you know? It's like, eh, very few people get hospitals named after them, all right? And so I'm just gonna live my life, right? So you accept these parts of your life, you accept the way you look, you accept what you do, but everything becomes about our comfort. Everything becomes about our comfort. We will, we will buy little houses on wheels so that we attach it to our trucks and we can leave all of this because this is uncomfortable, but I go out there and I'm comfortable, I like that. I buy a vacation home or I build my house in such a way that I love it. It's like a little oasis. Everything out there stinks, but here it's comfortable. I like it. Everything is the way that I want it to be. It's exactly the way that I want it to be. My steering wheel heats up if I push this button and my seat will cool if I push this button, you know. Everything's about our comfort. And then we build that comfort, we build that oasis, that life, and then we live our whole life around it always going and getting the next thing, always building the next thing, always adding on to the next thing, always achieving and buying in and that sort of stuff. And if anything attacks it, it's the enemy. The second we become uncomfortable, we become uncomfortable to be around. And that usually involves things like change. You know, like the world is changing and we don't like it. So we start griping and yelling at everybody because my schedule got messed up. They changed my favorite restaurant. They put a roundabout there, you know, something like that. And we're mad about it. And you see people in this stage where their idol is comfort and uh, the pastor is new or the president is new or something like that. And I'm not comfortable anymore. This ain't the way that I like it. This is not the way that it's always been. This is not the way that it's comfortable for me. And so we get upset about that because you know what? Your idol got, your idol got knocked over. Life's not comfortable. You might not be accepted purpose in life is all in God's setting. So we do this. What I'm trying to say in as gentle and direct way as I possibly can, we do this. I do this. You do this. We all do this. We craft idols and then we live our lives like they are our gods. And God says to that, he says, why should I have anything more to do with idols? Why should we worry about these idols like your comfort and your acceptance and and your purpose in life? Listen, those things are good. Hear me on this. All idols generally are fine until we make them an idol. They're fine in your life. You should want to be accepted by people. That means like you learn things like chew with your mouth shut, you know, that sort of stuff because that's how you make friends, you know, that sort of thing. You learn that. You should be comfortable, all that kind of stuff. But he says, why should I have any more to do with these idols? Because those idols, those things you chase, they won't answer and they don't watch over you. So one of the saddest things that, that as a pastor, I see all the time. As a parent, you see it. You see it all in friendships and stuff like this. When people leverage their entire lives for something that ends up being empty. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. They put their whole identity in something and that identity starts to crumble and they don't know what to do. They start questioning God as if he did that to them. God says very specifically, I answer you, I watch over you. When things start to crumble and you pray, I will answer. I am listening, I want to answer. And I'm already watching out for you. 
It's gonna be amazing when we get to heaven, right? And we're gonna see all the things that we, we didn't know. We're gonna understand things. I think, I don't know that there's anything in scripture that says you're instantly gonna be a genius, but I think you can ask questions and he'll answer those kind of questions. One of the things that I think we'll be most amazed at is how often he watched over us and you didn't even know it. You're just like bebopping through life and he's like, you know, I don't know, like the anvil just barely misses you, like in Warner Brothers cartoons or something like that, you know? Just the truck barely misses you and you look back like that was God. He's been watching over you. Those false idols don't, they don't protect you. They don't help you. The way I think of it is this way. Could you imagine if you're like cooking in your house and you're cooking something like delicious, like, uh, like fried okra or something. And all of a sudden there's a little fire starts up. The fire starts up and, and it's got the vinyl hood on fire and the, and the little like uh, decorative towel that you're not even supposed to dry your hands with. It catches on fire and the wall catches on fire. All sorts of stuff are catching on fire. It's out of control, but you're not worried. You reach under the sink, you grab a, a fire extinguisher, you pull the pin and you pull the, the, the trigger thingy like this, you know, and nothing happens. Nothing. It wasn't charged. It's old. I don't know. I don't know how those things go out. They go out, you know, nothing happens. That's what a lot of people are living their lives like. They're trusting in this thing that when things go up in flames, will not answer. Hear me, my friend. Listen, I'm saying this in love. It might not sound like that because I'm being dramatic and my hands are moving, but I'm saying this in love. You can be super popular. And when things go wrong, most of that popularity will run out the door. They won't be there. All of your Instagram likes, your Facebook friends will not be there. You can set this purpose in your life and unless God has directed your steps, it will not work out the way that you think it will. You can be absolutely comfortable, but catch this, the mission of God is rarely ever comfortable. You should be nervous if your entire life is comfortable. God is proactive. And he answers, see, the light is shining in on our own hearts saying that I need this thing. And so I'm telling you, friend, if you've never received Jesus as your savior, if you've never repented and turned back to him, that's the message of the Bible. That you can repent and believe in you. And this is the wise, the understanding, the prudent thing to do. You should turn away from the little gods that you've created in your life, that little kingdom that you have built and trust God. And for the rest of us who have trusted in Jesus, I would say this, we all need this. We need to walk out of here remembering there is probably something in our lives that we need to repent of. What are you, ask yourself this question, what are you tempted to orient your life around? What, are, what is it that you have built that you are leveraging all of your life around? That thing, repent of it. And again, it's not bad until you make it a God. Then it's really bad. There's this little thing that I do that I think is funny that Jackie probably does not think is funny. Uh, it's like when I see an ad or something, I'll send it to her and I'll say, I need this, right? Uh, y'all know that like smokeless fire pit thing that I have? Well, they just came out with, a, it's pretty much a table that wraps around the smokeless fire pit so that you can put your, uh, your, your s'more uh, ingredients on it, right? Yeah, it's like 300 bucks. And I told her, I need this. She says, I don't think you do. I was like, I don't think you understand, you know, because I need this thing. One time I sent her like a $1.2 million cabin in the Ozarks. I need this. I need this thing right now. Let's get it. You know, and that sort of thing. She's like, no, we are not getting that. Fun squasher, you know. I'm just sending her all the time. And you hear that. You'll hear that when you're growing up, right? The difference, we all know the difference between need and want, right? You learn that growing up. I need this. And your parents go, you don't need that. You want it. But you don't need it. 
I think we're really bad at seeing the difference there. Here's the other side of that coin. I think we are also bad in seeing the things that we actually do need. Our own pride and our own tolerance says, I don't need that. I don't need God. I don't need to repent. I don't need to be humble. I don't need need to admit when I am wrong. And I'm telling you, my friend, you need that. You need to repent and find real life in God. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.